0: Welcome to the Flower Hour podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello, hello, hello. You are joined for Flower Hour here. I am actually with another athlete. Yona Knight Wisdom, a diving athlete, represents Jamaica, trains in Edinburgh. And this is a really special episode, I suppose, in some aspects, because again, we're going against the stereotype that black people can't swim. We're not good at anything that's water sport related. And Yona and I were having a conversation off camera before we started recording. And we wanted to save some of the juicy conversation that's going to happen. So, Yona, how are you doing so far? And how are you dealing with this madness that is COVID?
1: Well first of all thank you very much for having me on. Uh looking forward to having a a good chat about life and being a black person in in an aquatic sport which is <laughs> few and far between, you know. There's not many of us. Um I'm doing well. I can't complain too much, you know. I've been it's it's been a mad year. There's there's been a lot going on with the pandemic, with the protests, with everything. Um but I'm grateful at the moment that I can be back at training and have a bit of consistency and a bit of you know just something to look forward to every day rather than waking up and kind of not knowing what my day was going to look like apart from sitting in front of the tv um it's, it's nice to get back to the the daily grind and um and fortunately i've been healthy this entire time so and everyone around me has been healthy so i can't really complain too much
0: so i suppose has covid not affected like your usual training regime or your work life because I know um I have a few professional footballer um friends that are footballers and they train usually at their gym base, you know, wherever their team is. So has it not affected you in any way, shape, or form? Uh well, first lockdown, yeah, of course I was I was locked in at home. Um like
1: just trying to do as much as I can from could from home, trying to stay as fit and uh mentally stable essentially as possible um but also trying to stay ready for whenever the gyms like reopens um and then we it, it was a bit kind of touch and go like i was back in the gym for a few weeks we went up to the pool in in aberdeen because we were allowed up there um for like three weeks and then had two weeks off and then i was in the gym only for another four weeks and i went came down to leeds to train in the water for another two weeks and then uh, another couple of weeks out of the water. So it was like kind of up and down, in and out the pool, no consistency. Um, but then Edinburgh Leisure reopened their facilities uh, mm. at the end of September. And we've been back in since. And obviously up here in, in Scotland, they're doing the lockdown situation differently to how England are doing it. So yeah. we haven't been restricted by that yet. I don't know what might change um unfortunately it's not affected the rest of the program either so I can continue coaching and all the little kids can continue training as well which you know is for me is really important for for them to be able to have their leisure activities and um you know being able to stay fit and stay healthy rather than Mm -hmm. just sitting at home you know playing their games and and watching tv for months on end I don't think that's that's a good thing at all so yeah it's, it's good that Everything is back underway, and as I say, I'm so grateful that I can just train because that's all I I really want to do right now.
0: Are you gonna get the new PS5? Really random question.
1: No, nah, I'm not much of a gamer. You know? Like, I I I wouldn't play it enough to warrant the price of it. I imagine I don't even know what the price is, but I imagine it's a lot. Every um,
0: year, it's gone up. Like prices just continually keep to raising, and wages don't raise. So that's a whole other yeah, question.
1: Exactly. It's it's wild. I actually got a Nintendo Switch probably about two months ago yeah Um, so that that is enough for me like it it was on the lower price range but you know you can get mario kart you can get fifa on it i got fifa 21 on it which you know the quality isn't as good as a ps5 or ps4 whatever but for me for what i need just a bit of entertainment here and there that'll do the job
0: no most definitely because i suppose the life you live as a professional athlete isn't the easiest you know i've played semi-professional football But um, that wasn't a lot. You like you train maybe three to four days a week and so much more. Right. And um, I suppose in some aspects, I'm envious because I wished that I took on the talent I had in football and athletics and I took it somewhere. But you and I are from Caribbean backgrounds. And my mom always said to me, focus on your education. She couldn't see me doing anything else but education. And okay, yeah, I went on to do a master's. I've done like four degrees, essentially. I'm doing a journalism degree. I'm going to hopefully do my PhD. But you're an athlete and you're also a graduate. You told me you graduated in sports science. How have you been able to manage being a professional athlete and also being able to get a degree? And I suppose I'm asking that because if there's ever a Caribbean mother or an ethnic mother of some sorts that comes on and watches this, they're like, hold up. My child can actually do sport and study as well. So, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I got the same message from my mum as well. You know, like education is very important. And then I, I always understood that from an early age, that education was really important. I had to work hard at school. Um, but the other message I got from from my mum especially was we, as black people in this country, we had to work twice as hard as everyone else to be able to find the same success, right? I'm sure you heard mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, so even, you know, I found diving at a reasonably early age. I was nine years old mm-hmm. when I started diving and, it was clear to see that I enjoyed it. Beforehand, you know, I had done gymnastics for f- four years um, and I had swimming lessons from a young age and I was, I was clearly just a very sporty kid. Um, so finding a sport that I was actually quite good at and that I really enjoyed, you know, my mum and, and my dad, you know, they were willing to allow me to pursue that um, as long as my education didn't drop. But this, the same message was constant, you got to work twice as hard at everything. Yeah. So I was working. Well, I felt like I was working twice as hard at the pool. I was working twice as hard um, at school as well to try and just achieve everything that I possibly could. Also, you know, my my mom came from Barbados. My dad came from Jamaica. So they they were both immigrants. I was born here. Um, they obviously had to work hard to get to where they were in life and then they were able to give me a pretty privileged upbringing I got sent to a private school uh, Leeds Grammar School which you know cost an arm and a leg but they were willing to sacrifice wow. that for me um which m- my gratitude is almost crippling for that because I the only way I can say thank you is by being successful in everything that I do well wow. I can't financially pay them back there's, there's no way like that won't be possible and that wouldn't be practical. The only way I can say thank you properly is by showing success academically and showing success in my sport because, you know, they forked out some cash for me, which
0: I can imagine.
1: I'm unbelievably grateful for. So I was very fortunate that I had all those tools, but also that gratitude to be willing to put in the hard work as well. Um, so I found a way to stay very disciplined within myself and, um, you know make the sacrifices when I needed to make the sacrifices but also not sacrifice everything because you do need the other side of it the social life the friends everything else yeah Uh, and I think you know I think I was just lucky to find the right balance everyone has different ways of doing it I think I was just lucky to find the balance that worked for me and I rode with it, it and it's it continues to work out so hopefully it
0: will keep on going like the first word, like the words you use, crippling gratitude. I've never used, heard people, you know, say that in such a way. And I suppose when we think of crippling, we think of it negatively. But I suppose crippling for you was like your motivator. It spurred you on. Like, And as you said, your mom reminded you you had to work like twice as hard. My mom always said to me three times as hard. And she, I remember she showed me a newspaper with, I think it was someone, a black woman was in parliament and she wrote an article saying she had to work like four or five times as hard. And, you know, you never really understand it until you get older. But then, as you said, you went to a private school, you know, you've been an athlete and you've studied as well. What was it like going to a private school? And did it change your perception, I suppose, on who you were as an individual, but also the culture you've come from? Because I know private school is a very different culture. And um. I begged my mum when I was younger to put me into a private school because I genuinely felt like it would hone my potential. But unfortunately, my mum wasn't able to afford it. She was a single mother. What was it like? Yeah. What was that dichotomy like between the Caribbean culture and then the culture of a private school?
1: Yeah. It was, it was a different world. You know, it was a completely different world. You know, I, I don't know if, you know if you know Leeds or if anyone knows Leeds, but I grew up in an area called Chapeltown, which is basically the Caribbean community of Leeds. Mm. Um, it's where the West Indian Carnival is. You know, that carnival's been going for over 50 years. Yeah. Um, that's literally right on my doorstep. That happens just down the road. <laughs> so I'm right within the Caribbean culture. But it was funny, I was I, I felt like I was actually very removed from the culture. Okay. Um, growing up I didn't feel like I had that many black friends. Mm. Um, I didn't I didn't know many black people uh, apart from you know my my core group around my family and like really close uh, family friends, um, just because you know, from the age of what was I like seven or eight, I was being taken out to the suburbs every day to go to school um, in Orwoodley, which you know it was it was a very white dominated school. In my year group, I was one of only three black people. Wow! And, funnily enough, the the other two I was actually related to through marriage. Which was insane, <laughs> um, and it was, I would say, a completely different world. Like going to some of my friends' houses, it was a joke. Like the size of their houses, the things that they had, the luxury. Um, you know, when we had uh, own clothes days at school, they would all come in there like designer clothes and things like that. And I simply wouldn't be able to afford things like that. So I was just yeah. trying to look cool without spending money as well. And I always felt like I was, I always felt like I was a level below yeah so even though I was on the same level because I was there and probably academically on the same level as well because you know I think I was a pretty clever kid yeah uh, I I still felt like I was a level below and I was always playing catch-up and um, I was always a little bit disadvantaged compared to those because of those certain situations but I think that just um, strengthened the whole gratitude discipline thing work harder um and try and achieve whatever or take advantage of the opportunities that i had
0: and with the opportunities you know whenever i think of going to the school i went to so i went to a state school public school the opportunities you have sometimes are far and few between and some would argue that only the kids with so much intelligence are really focused on and pushed and um I was the kid that was, I kind of refer to myself as a floaty poo. I was good enough at some stuff, excellent at some, but not amazing at others, right? So with you going to a private school and you being exposed to this new environment, and as you said, you felt like a level below, when did you realise that with your talent, sporting talent and academic talent, you could match these people and you were able to beat them? Um, I think from a sporting
1: perspective, that came quite late. Um I, I left the grammar school in year eleven. So I reckon this the sporting side of it maybe came through like year nine, year ten. Um, you know, we, we would play house rugby and house football and cricket and everything like that. And yeah, because I love sports so much, I would always get involved, but I was never really good at football, cricket or rugby. Okay. I was I was good enough to get in the teams but I wasn't good enough to like always be in the A team or be in that automatic starter or um you know, the the match winner or anything like that. Um you know, I, I, it was, it was quite difficult because then the diving thing was so far removed from school because I was not, they they didn't see me train because it was at a different place. Um, They didn't see how good I was at diving until I started doing more competitions and started traveling internationally and started winning some medals when I go to international competitions. (laughs) Um, That was when it really set in from a, from a sporting point of view.
0: Yeah.
1: I guess academically that was, it was always there, like, we we had like yearly exams and I was always like you know not necessarily at the top but not the yeah. bottom like just somewhere in the middle maybe maybe high middle um you know I was always pretty willing to participate in lessons you know give my points of view um I always had nerves in, in English for example when we had to stand up and talk uh, and I might not have been very creative in design technology for example. Um, you know there was definitely a few times where I had to use some of my friends design ideas to, to create my products uh because I couldn't think of them myself yeah so you know as I say I always felt I always felt on a similar level from a sporting and academic point of view but it was I think it was just a social um I guess social hierarchy point of view quote unquote yeah um where I felt disadvantaged but then on the flip side you know I I, I was all my friends at diving a lot of them went to state schools um I had one very very close friend in Leeds who I'm still good friends with now like we've been friends our whole, whole lives and he went to a state school so we had completely different educational experiences um but because I was so close to all of them I kind of got to hear the differences and hear some of the the advantages that I got at grammar school where you know as you say at state schools they might only focus on the um the the smart people but at the grammar school they definitely found a
0: way to try and bring everyone
1: up as long as you gave something.
0: Okay. So I suppose they valued your place as in some aspects, yeah, perhaps yeah. more than someone would this be in a state school. So you also said that you did gymnastics and you were diving. When did diving start? Because whenever I think about diving, I only think about Tom Daly because he was like Britain's poster boy for years. So when I saw, you know, your Instagram and I reached out to you and I realized you were a diver and you represented Jamaica on top of that. That to me was like, my brain was like, hold up, I can't calibrate this. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. So take yeah. me through that journey when you started diving and then when it what it was like to represent Jamaica, I suppose. Well, my closest
1: friend that I spoke about, um, I actually went along to one of his gymnastics sessions mm. just randomly in like the summer when we were just chilling together. And turned out I was pretty good at gymnastics. So I got recommended to join City of Leeds Gymnastics Club. Did that stay with them for a few years, um, did a few competitions. I was I was I was okay. I was just very young. Um and then it was one year after I had moved to the grammar school. So I, I moved there in year three. And then in year four, City of Leeds Diving Club were doing the talent identification program. So they were going around schools. All around the city uh picking up trying to pick up as many kids as possible to to join their program so they, they would have tested you know maybe over a thousand maybe two thousand kids across the wow. city um and fortunately they came to my school and it was the only year that they came to the grammar school to do TID testing and um I I got I got selected you know my coach that took me to the Olympics in 2016, he was the coach that was there that day when they came to my school. Oh, wow. And he said he remembered seeing me and and saying that boy's got a bit of talent, but that was the gymnastics um, foundation kind of coming through, okay, which was really helpful. And then, um, you know, that was when I was like nine years old. So I went to the pool, I was doing both gymnastics and diving for a little while, and diving just stuck so I dropped gymnastics and then just stuck at diving because I I enjoyed it it was a lot of fun making new friends um, and actually finding a bit of success quite early in some like novice competitions um the the Jamaica thing came around in in 20 I'd say 2010 it was first suggested because uh I I'm not only kind of an outcast well not an outcast, outcast but different because I'm a black diver but I'm a very tall diver as well you know I'm I'm just under six foot three most divers are around like five nine in okay. my event so I had that massive massive disadvantage um, but you know I was still quite talented but I never really got selected for any of the British teams when I was younger so my coach suggested how about i try represent jamaica or barbados you know my dad or my mum's country and yeah. it took a little while to convince me because i was really keen to try and represent great britain yeah but after a while i kind of decided that you know that was an opportunity that i kind of had to take and i took it got my passport Uh, got signed up with the uh, Amateur Swimming Association of Jamaica in 2012 and had my first competition in 2012 with the whole goal of making it to the Olympics in 2016 and somehow managed to make it a reality.
0: Wow there's so many questions i got to ask you in that the first one I'm gonna have to ask you is how do you spot a talent for diving because I can't dive and I remember when I used to go to school they used to have like the little diving board I used to do stupidness on it and I was tall enough to put my feet at the bottom of the pool and still have my head over so it looks like probably I was talented in my own head but how do you spot somebody who's talented in diving because I can't understand that.
1: It's it's hard to do because you don't know how they're gonna obviously grow up but you're trying to spot them from a young age and spot just ability like literally natural raw ability so the things that that were looked out for in me were like my jumping ability so we had a ping jump test where you basically like had to jump over a block as many times as possible in 10 seconds or you had to do 10 in as quick as possible something like that um so you're looking at the leg power and just the the reactive um jumping ability i think we had a they had a chin-up bar that was like portable and they could build it so they put it in our sports hall and built it mm-hmm. so we had to just do as many chin-ups we could as we could do um there was one for like just a little like i think they just put a few mats out so we do like some forward rolls and some backward rolls and just see if we had any natural abilities to do that unfortunately um, i had a gymnastics foundation so that was all good for me uh there was a flexibility and form element so you're looking at leg line toe point um if they can touch the toes or make different shapes because the flexibility uh, element is very very important for diving again with gymnastics yeah. i had loads of flexibility already in me so i was all good at that um i think that was pretty much it so you know the four or five key things that they're looking out for and it's just they're just looking out for that natural raw ability mm. and you know it actually probably means nothing to them, the, the selectors. You know, they're looking at random kids and they're like giving them like yeah. a random nine out of ten or a random six out of ten, or whatever, and then kind of collating all this information and seeing who comes out on the top and inviting those kids. And some might miss out by a fraction, but they may actually have been better in the long run than some of the ones that got picked because, you know, as you get older, the mental game becomes a part of it because diving is a very difficult sport mentally, mm. you know, throwing yourself off a high platform into deep water and flipping around in the air that goes very much against human nature in many respects. Very true. Uh, So, you know, I, I currently am the last of my generation from 2004. So there was a group of, I think, 15 of us that were selected. So I think they went from like the thousands that were tested to probably about 40 that came for the second trial at the pool where we just got, it was like one session, maybe like an hour where they taught us some basics and then gave us some time. Then that was cut to like 15. And I was part of that 15. And so what now, 16 years later, I'm the last one of that 15 that is still in competitive diving. So what happened
0: to the rest of them?
1: All the others, you know, they'd like drop out along the way, um, maybe have more interest in a different sport or you know, choose a different path in life or whatever, just fall out of diving, stop enjoying it, maybe have mental blocks, you know, get too scared to do it, things like that. Mm. But then there are also some really successful ones as well. So there was another two from my generation that also made the Olympics. Two of them went in 2012. Um, Another one plus myself went in 2016. Um, But, you know, they then went on to retire after really great careers, um one of my friends i still talk to now he is doing well not at the moment but he was doing uh diving shows on cruise ships um going around the caribbean so he was still involved in diving just not competitive diving so you know it it, the the group just gets slowly smaller along the way as we get older but i just couldn't give up diving (laughs) and i still haven't
0: and so, you know, you said that Great Britain, you weren't really being picked, although you had the talent. And you also said that you're tall, like you're my height, because I looked on the internet, you're 188 centimetres. Well, actually, I'm supposed to be 189. So I call myself 6'3". I round it up just in case, you know, do you know what I mean? See,
1: I, I I round down for, to 6'2", because it makes myself feel better as a diver. <laughs> okay, yeah, because yeah, I I'm
0: down. looking at your frame and you look long. Like if there's shoulders... <laughs> That I could aspire to have. I'd want shoulders, like <laughs> swimmers, anyone who's in aquatic sports, like I want to be able to struggle when I walk through a door. Like I want to be able to whack it. Do you know, maybe that's my own ego, but who knows, it's an right?
1: Inconvenience. You don't want that. It's an inconvenience, I promise. Really? So so <laughs> so
0: so you suffer from the issue that I want to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For real. Oh,
0: amen. <laughs> Listen, that's a blessing. Bust me the shoulders, man. <laughs> I'll happily um, take it. My
1: my arm length an issue because you know. Clothes very rarely fit my arms properly. I've got very little arms for my body as well. I'm I'm just quite a lanky person, yeah, uh, which makes diving very difficult because Mm. you want to be small.
0: And then, so you went on to represent Jamaica. How did Jamaica treat you, and why did you choose Jamaica above Barbados? Because I'm thinking in my head, Barbados doesn't have many athletes that I hear about, so sometimes. When you're a big fish going to a small pond, you become the biggest fish whereas Jamaica they're known for having dominant athletes on the track and and so much more. So why Jamaica above Barbados and how did Jamaica take to you coming from the UK, I suppose being rejected by Great Britain and then choosing Jamaica?
1: Well, to firstly touch upon the big fish small pond um sometimes you know you might be a big fish if you go to a small pond there's actually not that much to feed off
0: oh I like that do you know what I mean yeah yeah I like, yeah I get exactly what you mean
1: so if you're if you go to a, a pond with bigger fish then there's more to feed off you can feed off whatever they have already what they've already established yeah that was part of my thought process okay um unfortunately you know kind of because of the year I was born, 1995, I was part of a very, very, very competitive age group, prob- probably one of the best age groups that British diving's ever seen. Um, there was like five or six of us, um, not even including myself, that were fighting out for, you know, two spots to go to junior Europeans or junior worlds. Um, and it would chop and change every single time because, you know, we were all so good. So, you know, out of, my, out of our group, I went to the Olympics, and, and this is literally just divers that were born in 1995. Okay. Um, so not, not even including Tom Daley, who was 1994, or his synchro partner in 2016 at the Olympics, Dan Goodfellow, who was um, who was 1996. Sorry. That's um, uh, he was 1996. So literally just the divers in 1995. There was me who went to the Olympics and World Silver Medalist, Hanover Medalist. Uh, another one called Freddie Woodward, who went to the Olympics in 2016 as well. Uh, Another one, Jack Law, who Olympics 2012, Olympic champion 2016, Olympic silver medalist 2016, uh, world medalist, junior world medalist, you know, outstanding diver. Um, Jack Haslam, who went to Commonwealth Games. So my my age group was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Um, So to try and fight through that when they were younger and much, much better than me, at that time, was very difficult um, because I I was good, but I wasn't that good at that time. You know, they were really good at that young age. Um, so it it was I don't I wouldn't say it was a rejection. I'd say it was me choosing a different path, um, and almost a path to try and prove them wrong. Okay. So, you know, I, I think Jamaica were very excited to have someone represent them in in a sport that was unusual. Uh, for them, someone do something different. I think a lot of Jamaicans do see the island as bigger than just track and field. Exactly. Um, and but it's quite hard to break out of the track and field mindset because there's not the facilities there for gymnastics or swimming or diving or you know other random sports. There's not the the, the structure or the culture there for that yet. Um, but that's something I'd like to try and change going forward. So I, I, they were they were generally excited. And, you know, I got a lot of support on social media, um, especially through Facebook from from Jamaican people, seeing what I was trying to do, um, which was really refreshing. That really kept me going. And, you know, the few times I've been to visit Jamaica, um, I've had a lot of media appearances. Uh, I feel like I'm generally quite well known there. And, you know, last year I I, I was up for Sportsman of the Year in Jamaica, which That's was amazing. huge for for a, for a diver to be nominated for sportsman of the year that's insane alongside some incredible track and field athletes it's, it is insane um so I think it was a good choice um the the re the main reason why I chose Jamaica over Barbados is, is basically Usain Bolt because yeah okay yeah yeah the, the attention the attention on the island was a different thing so I, I I kind of guessed that if I was to find success representing Jamaica compared mm. to if I was to find success representing Barbados I feel like it would just stand out more with Jamaica.
0: Okay. So that would give
1: me better chance of trying to find sponsors, better chance of trying to find, you know, just some kind of financial gain from it potentially because of the culture for sport that Jamaica has, not just in track and field, but in football, in uh, cricket, in a few other sports as well. I felt like I could feed off that a little bit more. Um, So, you know, when I had my Jamaican tracksuit on walking around the village in Rio, you know, people, people like take a second and take a second glance at you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course they, 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 they look, whereas I don't think many other countries get that just because of the tracksuit. Right. And I don't, I don't know how I managed to think of that at that time in 2012 when I was deciding before I'd even had any good success in diving, but yeah, that was a part of my thought process.
0: And I suppose Jamaica, their talent is unreal. Like when you think about how small the population is and the impact they've made in the world culturally through reggae, through Rastafarianism, through the food. And then from the track and field, like Jamaica produces so many track and field athletes, it's absolutely insane. And so I'm Trinidadian and you're Jamaican and Bayesian, right? And in Trinidad, we have so much talent, but I feel like the government and the institutions don't do enough to really focus on that talent. So you've joined a pool of talent where you're being represented in a way where quite rare, as you said, you know, divers are not very common. And then you've got that pressure of when you're wearing that tracksuit, people will take a second look because they know Jamaicans aren't to be messed with. Right. Mm hmm. With the success you've gone on to have, I know you said to me that you were an Olympian in 2016 and you've been a world silver medalist. What was it like when you got both of those achievements? Did you find that the Jamaican audience had more love for you compared to the British audience? And why I'm asking that question is because I remember, interestingly, when I saw the media coverage, when Andy Murray lost, for example, he was Scottish. But when he won, he was British. Same with Mo Farah. When Mo Farah wins, he's British. But then sometimes when he hasn't done as well, people bring up the fact that he was actually born in Somalia. So it's quite interesting, that dichotomy, the love-hate relationship. So how did Jamaica take to you with your success compared to the success that you had when you were Britain?
1: I, I think I think um, just my representation was appreciated in Jamaica, to be
0: honest.
1: Mm. I, I don't think the success of, or failure mattered. It mattered to me massively. Um, And it's hard to tell because I can only really see through social media. I'm not not over there. I don't see the reaction. But the social media reaction I always get, regardless of how I compete in competition, is positive positive vibes only. Um, I think, you know, 2016 was a wild year because that was also the year I got a silver medal. So the process was I was going to World Cup in Rio to qualify my Olympic spot. What I needed was to finish top 18. Um, so I achieved that in the prelim, um, finished in 17th place. So I moved on to the semifinal. So that was, the emotion was ridiculous because that was four years of just intense work to get to that point. Uh, a lot of highs and lows. So to achieve that at that point was incredible. After the, I, I competed in the semifinal and managed to finish 11th, uh, which meant I qualified for the final which was the following day. Um, oh no, sorry. Later on the same day as the semifinal, the semifinal was the following day for freedom. Um, so I moved on to the final and then in the final, I just happened to have one of those events where everything went perfectly. And I call it a flow state where you don't even have to think it just, everything was just perfect. And that's what an athlete trains for. It doesn't happen often. Some people don't even experience it, but it, it just happened on that day. And, you know, my score that I achieved in that final actually normally would probably get top eight somewhere around there. Damn but man. just because there was, there was a few people not competing um, because it, they, they didn't need to because they had already qualified their spots. Um, it was also an outdoor competition. So there were a few mistakes and a few people that had, had, had uh, slip ups earlier on. So I was just in the right place at the right time and managed to finish second in a, in still quite a, a good quality field. So that on top of qualifying the day before was just outrageous. Um, so the coverage in Jamaica was, was pretty big of that, I think. Um, but I still didn't really experience it because from Rio, I flew to Miami then flew home, um, you know, just as, as part of my journey and I didn't, Really, I think go to Jamaica until just before the Olympics, where again I got to go do a bit of media, um, pick up my Olympic kit. Then I was off to my training camp. Um, so it was it was really hard to kind of gauge what it was like. But you know what I was able to figure out was that you know when I got to the Olympics, some of the biggest athletes there knew me, like Usafa Powers, Usain Bolt. I knew who I was, um, you know, Omar McLeod knew who I was. They all knew who I was. The staff appreciated me and respected me for what I, what I had done. And they, you know, were willing to do whatever I needed there. You know, I had that appreciation. So that made me understand that what I was doing was very well appreciated in Jamaica. And not just that year, but all the years leading up to that. Um, you know, because I'd done Commonwealth Games and Pan American Games before that as well. So, yeah, that was... It was a ridiculous year, and um, it, it definitely, it definitely made me feel a real strong part of the country.
0: So I suppose, did you walk away feeling more Jamaican than you had ever felt before? Hundred percent. And you know, you've had these big people recognise like Asafa Powell. And that when I was reading statistics on Asafa Powell, he's the most consistent sub 10 runner of all time but he doesn't get the credit he deserves because Usain Bolt, Johan Blake they came along and detonated half of his times you know it's absolutely crazy so when you met these individuals and they recognized you and you've probably been looking up to these people in your own small ways what was that like like I can't imagine that feeling
1: it was it was wild um you know the, the story of when I saw Bolt at the Olympics, I only seen him one time there as well, because he spent a lot of his time just kind of like away from everything because, yeah. you know, he gets mobbed whenever he goes down to the dining hall or whatever, just because he's Usain Bolt. I literally like, because obviously we stay in the same block. I literally just walked down to his room, walked in his room, this on the, the day of the closing ceremony and just walked into his room. I had a couple of vests um that I wanted signed, walked in, you know, had a quick conversation. He said that he you know saw some of the dives that I did and you know just just gave me props for for all of that and told me to keep on going and everything took a couple of pictures signed the vest Asafa signed the vest as well I've actually got it up right here
0: hey come on that's what we love to see we love to see (laughs) I'm gonna have to get you to come and sign some of my clothes man
1: (laughs) um I'll leave that in shot there (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah I got that was that was really hard to just even comprehend because you know as I mentioned when I sat watching Bolt in, tw- in 2008 I couldn't even imagine being in the same room as him uh let alone him congratulating me for what I had achieved and just having normal conversation with a zappa, Pall, someone that I've seen running uh on tv for years and years and years and that's what the Olympics is about as well you know you, you kind of walk around the village and you see these athletes that inspire you you know, literally as I arrived in Rio um, got my bags from the airport and got onto the bus and sat in front of me like a couple of rows down the bus was Alison Felix. Wow. You know, this, this absolute goddess of the track. And she just sat right there on the bus. And, and she I'm, looks
0: like a goddess too. We thank God.
1: <laughs> no doubt. And, and I'm just sat there like, I can't believe it. And this was like within hours of arriving in Rio, you know, wow, that's, man. that's what the Olympics all about. And you know, it, it made everything worth
0: it. And then you've had that, you know, you're adding on with Jamaica's, you know, they've seen you, they're recognising your talent. Then when you won the World Silver and then, you know, you competed in the Olympics, you know, in Rio de Janeiro in 2016, do you, did you ever get the feeling that Britain had regretted letting you go?
1: Yes, I did. And that was very satisfying. <laughs> did,
0: they, did they ever try to, you know, prompt you, that try to get you to come back to represent Britain? Uh,
1: not ever seriously. And I never would have seriously considered it because, you know, there were still a number of very strong athletes in my event. So it just wouldn't have made sense because I would have gone from being able to do everything to to then potentially not being able to do anything. And then, um, you know, the only thing that might have tempted me was the funding that the British athletes get from UK Sport. Um which yeah, I most certainly do not get. Um, but you know I don't think because it wasn't it's not something that's guaranteed. It's very performance based and I, I didn't feel like I needed that, but there are definitely a few jokes uh, from even the performance director of British diving, you know, saying that I should should come back and represent Great Britain. So I feel like I proved my point and I feel like I proved the people um that maybe not necessarily doubted me but didn't give me a chance when I was younger. Um, maybe rightly so because of the other divers yeah. but I definitely proved them wrong in the way that I wanted to
0: but then in accordance to the Katy Perry song you were the one that got away and it probably would have been very easy for you as you said in the sense that you weren't getting the funding in some aspects. And I know funding is a really big thing for athletes and not many people know this, but a lot of athletes have to work full time to even chase their dreams and to do so much more. I was reading a story about a great British athlete who um, I can't remember his name, but he had to work as an Amazon delivery driver or
1: during the lockdown.
0: Yeah. Just to fund his dreams of the Olympics. So how hard is it for you to still train to be able to afford to train, but also most importantly, to be able to do all of that without feeling the need to give up. Because a lot of people ordinarily would give up when they can't do something, when they don't have the access, they don't have the funding, they don't have the opportunities. How are you staying mentally strong?
1: Well, I think to address that, that final point is the way that I was able to stay strong and stay, stay locked in is because I would just think, what else would I rather be doing? Mm. Like like what literally what else would I rather be doing? I spend my day, you know, chilling at home, going to training, eating well, staying fit, staying healthy. And then four or five times out of the year, I get to travel around the world, uh, make some extremely good international friends, you know, some some people that I've known for years now, and I try and catch up with them as much as I possibly can. Um, And it's always exciting to see them at these events. I get to compete uh, with some of the best athletes in the world. And then, you know, off the back of some of my success I've been able to attend some uh awards ceremonies alongside some cool people I've been able to meet some cool people and it's just fun I just find it fun and I just can't I don't see myself doing anything else because I don't think anything else is well at the moment as fun as, as as that so that's what kept me locked in um it was just a case of trying to find way around the, the, the challenges of being a full-time athlete without the UK sport funding. In 2012, fortunately, I was, I was lucky enough to um, get a response from Levi Roots when I reached out to him, wow. um, asking for sponsorship and me and my coach, my mum went down to London to have a meeting with him um, told him, you know, we, we put forward my plan for the four year cycle from 2012 to 2016, uh, the potential costs and he agreed to fund my uh competition expenses so travel and accommodation um which without that there's no way that would have made it to where i am because all that experience was so valuable you know the the good ones and the bad ones you know i got to go to you know numerous world championships and world cups before the olympics came around so i was ready for that qualification competition um and he still continues to support me now which is awesome um And then, you know, that's why I started coaching in 2013, to be able to try and earn a bit of money on the side as well um, whilst training. Um, But I wanted something that would complement my training. So coaching does that perfectly. Um, Any other job, you know, would have been more difficult to balance around training. Uh, Again, fortunately, I've been able to get an IOC scholarship uh, from the Olympic Committee, uh, which is run through the JOE. you know, it's a good programme where they they help to fund athletes. Um, again, it's nowhere near as much as what the British athletes might get from their funding, but, you know, it's enough to support me. Um, and then I've got a another sponsor in Budgie Smuggler at the moment who not only give me my training gear and competition gear uh, in the pool, but they also give me a little bit of money as well. So it's all it all kind of adds together and I try and do little bits where I can to just make a little bit of extra money. And, you know, I went through some, some difficult years kind of coming off the back of university, you know, I had my student loan and student grant and whatever, yeah, um, which again, helped me live. Um, But then when that was taken away, I, I wasn't fully prepared for that. And that was straight after 2016. So I graduated in the same year as the Olympics. So when I got back from Rio, I had nothing to do and I, didn't have any kind of real income apart from a bit of coaching. Yeah, so that was a difficult couple of years um, trying to to manage that, but uh, fortunately, I've been able to come out of that well, and you know, actually start being able to save a little bit of money now as well, rather than just living hand to mouth.
0: And that's the struggle that so many people do not see when it comes to athletes. People have this idea that being an athlete is all fun and glory but I know from doing sports it is not easy as you said you had to go down to meet Levi Roots you know to get some sort of sponsorship and funding have you ever thought about reaching out to other big sporting Jamaican stars such as perhaps like Raheem Sterling or other individuals because I'm sure they probably might support you you
1: know I, I, that's something i have not really considered I think my, my pride is almost too strong because I kind of want to grind it out myself I don't want I don't want a big handout like that, um, and you know, my my cousin is a footballer. My cousin's Andre Wisdom, who plays for Derby. Yeah. Um, so you know, if if it became necessary that I really needed some last minute support, I've got someone right there that is is reasonably wealthy and that could very easily support me. But you know, that's his money that he's earned. Of course. Why? What makes me kind of able to go and ask for that for for nothing really in return? Um, it's similar to what I did with Levi you know but he didn't request anything in return you know we suggested potential commercial things or or promotions I could help with um, using my social media but he never really requested that and the reason why was he was just so willing to help someone that he believed in.
0: Absolutely and that is amazing I suppose in my head why I suggest it It's because a lot of the athletes we have out there could do so much. And, you know, I think when speaking about, for example, Marcus Rashford, you know, and what he's done for families that are unable to eat and are in poverty, it's fantastic. And imagine as a collective, all the people from the Caribbean islands came together to support athletes. I genuinely believe would be an unstoppable force. And that's something I strongly agree with. And I didn't even know that your cousin was Andre Wisdom because he was previously at Liverpool as well, Mm -hmm. right? So being a footballer in itself is hard. So you're coming from an athletic stock, I suppose, in some aspects, right? Yeah, a little bit. And we were speaking about it's not always easy being an athlete. Take me through the moments when you thought, perhaps this isn't for me. Were there moments where you had quit, but you were persuaded to come back? Were there moments where you were going to quit and you stopped yourself?
1: I've never quit, um, so I've never had to be persuaded to come back there was only one moment where I considered whether diving was the sport for me. And that was probably when I was about it. it was, I think it was actually in the same meeting when my coach suggested I try and represent Jamaica. So I think it was about 2010. Yeah, And I hadn't made it onto one of the England talent junior programs, something like that. Uh, I didn't get selected for one of the programs. Um, and he told me that in the meeting and I was like, just, just in my head, I was like, I didn't... Is it really worth it? You know, I don't want to just train. I want, I actually want to be good at this. Uh, and if I'm not getting selected, then how am I going to get selected in the future? Um, but then I was quickly like, uh, what else would I be doing? Like, this is still quite fun. Um, and I've got all these friends and everything like that. And then he suggested trying to represent Jamaica. Um, that's, that's the closest I, I think I've ever come. You know, I've, I've never had thoughts of quitting. I want to prolong my career as long as possible. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's in my nature to, to give up on something like this.
0: That's the, is that the Jamaican pride, the the Caribbean pride coming out? Because one of my best friends, he's Jamaican and, um, the man, they don't quit for nothing. They, 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 for them to quit, it has to be something quite serious. And I know you said you're doing your coaching and you're diving. So I suppose you fought off not only what's going to complement you training now, but your future, because everyone knows that an athlete's career isn't very long, right? So is coaching and diving something you possibly want to do when you retire and how, what's the average age when I suppose a diver retires?
1: I don't think there is an average age. It varies so much. You know, one of my, one of my best friends retired at 25, um, wow. with a back injury, uh, a couple of years after he became Olympic champion. Um, Another one I mentioned retired after the Olympics in 2016, when he was 23. Oh no, sorry. 21. Retired at 21.
0: That's really
1: Uh, young. Early, but a lot of success early on. Um, There's a Japanese diver that's still going. He's 40. He'll be 41 years old next year. Wow. Uh, The only reason he stuck around is because the Olympics is in his hometown. Okay. Good man. He's 40 odd and he's still going. There's, many 30 year olds are good. So it just, it, it varies so much, just like it does in football as well. You know, it depends on your body and your mind. Um, so, yeah, I don't know when that time will come around for me. Um My goal is to do at least the next Olympic cycle up to 2024 and then see, then kind of reassess uh, from that point. Um But in terms of what I do next, I really have no idea. I'm I'm trying to do as much as possible right now to, to try and not necessarily prep, but just try different things.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: so I'm actually on my podcast on my podcast right now. I'm doing a, a series talking to other athletes about their thoughts of the transition from athlete to non-athlete lifestyle. Um, right. so I'm trying to talk to athletes who have already retired and already made that transition, and kind of tap into what their thought process was. Uh, and also talk to athletes are still going and considering what they might do so trying to get as many different perspectives as possible um but in terms of me you know i i tried a bit of youtube i like social i enjoy social media i find it quite fun but i don't i wouldn't say i'm addicted to it um because i feel like i use it for like reasonable terms i'm not just endlessly mindlessly scrolling yeah Um, i have my podcast so I'm, i'm practicing talking um but also not just talking about my story and, and just blabbing on but but being able to lead conversation um which is something that could potentially be used in the future uh i mentioned i'm, I'm an ambassador for dame kelly holmes trust so i'm getting an athlete mentor training so that could be something that comes in, in in later life you know mentoring training um other people maybe younger athletes or even away from sport could be could be business people uh, who want to tap into athlete mindset? Um, coaching is obviously potentially there. You know, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy doing it, and I, I have a lot of uh, experience to pass on for sure. Um, but I want to try and build something in the Caribbean from a diving point of view because there's nothing there at the moment. Uh, in Trinidad, they've just built a, a few new, cent- a few new sports facilities in Coover. Um, so they've got the velodrome, they got the, the, uh, they got the, the aquatic centre, which has a f- full purpose diving pool uh, with a gym as well, which is currently pretty much unused. Um, so I've got a couple, uh, I, I was actually invited over there to open that centre in 2016. Um, so I'm still in contact with the people that got me over there and I want to try and see if I can work with them to create some kind of diving club, diving academy over there um, and, 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 Try and grow some kind of Caribbean diving factory, almost. Um, and you know, if that because that's already set there, ready to go, the facilities. That's obviously the the first place to start, and then see if we can transition that across to Jamaica because they have a pool, but it's not it's not for good use yet. Yeah, um, there's a lot of renovation that needs to be done on it. Um, but you know, if there's success there, maybe I can convince someone to invest in Jamaica, and create a good diving pool, create a good swimming pool and then build a club, an aquatics club there or just help to do that. Um, so that's in my thought, you know, I don't want to just retire from diving and, and leave Jamaica behind. I want to leave a legacy. Um, and then, the, you know, I, I, I just try and think of various different ideas of what I could potentially do, like, you know, setting up a, some kind of foundation that might help athletes with with their transition I have no idea how I'd go about it, and I've kind of only just recently started thinking about that. But because I, I feel so passionate about that and potentially helping other athletes, that would also help myself um, with my own transition. Uh, so I say I have no idea how I I'd go about that, but it's definitely my thought process at the moment.
0: Evidently, speaking to you, I've learned so much more you're not just an athlete, you're someone who's thought of the future and you thought of giving back to Jamaica. And it's really, it's crazy because I was reading statistics about Jamaica. For example, Jamaica has like the second biggest brain drain in the world where so much talent, leaves Jamaica in pursuit of the Western world because the government doesn't do enough to incentivize Jamaicans to stay in the country so with you creating a diving factory if you're going to go on to do that that's going to be fantastic we're going to be able to keep talent in the Caribbean and I didn't even know that about Trinidad so there's so much you and I could speak about if you're getting you know flown out there put me on a little flight you know we can, I, I can cover it all sorts you know that, that's, me, that's me asking for the little handout there but <laughs> I'm really thankful that we've had this conversation and it's such a short amount of time, but I want to be able to do a part two with you sometime as well, because you're going to go on to do things that not many people our age are going to be able to do. And the fact you thought about giving back to me speaks a lot about who you are morally and ethically. And my last question has to be, what advice would you give to those people out there who perhaps want to be athletes or who are interested in diving and have never thought gone ahead to do it. What would be your key takeaways for them to take?
1: Well, first of all, those morals and ethics I get from my parents, you know,
0: big up your mums and dad,
1: such a, such a great upbringing. Um, and they just taught me so well, um, but also gave me the freedom to explore my own path and um, kept me within good guidelines. And, um, the advice I'd give is just, is just dream big because you. I know it's, the cliche, it's, it's such a cliche thing to say and I hate saying it, but you can literally achieve whatever you want to achieve. Yes, you've got to have a bit of talent for whatever it is, but if you try different things, find what your talent is and then pick one and work hard at it. And then you can also pick something else along the side of it and work hard at that as well. And maybe even something else as well and work hard at that because you can do all of them at the same time with a bit of discipline then you'll find some kind of success. So try try many things. Uh, once you decide on it, you know, hard work is the key, commitment, not letting people tell you what you can and can't do. Um, you know, just following those, trusting your instincts, trusting yourself, trusting your own ability. Um, and, you know, things will happen. I, I, I can, I'm kind of living by the quote, at the moment you reap what you sow which means you'll kind of get out what you put in so you don't always know when you're going to get it but when you're going to get the the benefits or get the fruit of your labor um but it'll come at the right time and it'll come good so just keep on keep on working
0: Jonah, thank you so much that is invaluable advice and it's so good i've been able to use my platform to showcase the talent that you have and first and second of all that black people can do water sports that's the whole ethos of my entire series so i have to say again i think appreciative thankful aren't the words that i could use to epitomize how i feel people are going to be able to watch this and see you can do anything you put your mind to and you're not just an athlete there's so much more that you are so yona gotta say thank you and i'm looking forward to our part two
1: Respect, man. I could talk for hours about myself. To be honest, once
0: I get in the flow. But... <laughs> nah, man. Listen, that's a blessing. So, what I'll do is I'll end this now. But I hope everyone that's watched this has absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this because I have. So, Yona, we'll speak, we'll chat soon. Yeah, man.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate right. it. Bless, King.
0: Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow. And make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.